Hello, and we are the Makes of History, with me, Foz, and Ross. Say hello, Ross. Hello. What's going on? Yeah, not much, actually. I've been off sick this week. Holy some sort boy. Of, yeah, some horrendous lung mutation disease. Yeah. We've been putting this off because he's been coughing that much, so you're going to have to excuse his coughing. You can said earlier on about muting it, but you ain't got a chance, mate. You <laughs> you trying, but they'll, they'll, yeah, they'll, the listeners will be fine with it. Do you know what I mean? It's authentic plague sound. So that, that's yeah, nice. Yeah. It's a level of history that we're adding there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and I've been sat around the house. I mean, what I have been able to do is started watching The Pacific. Yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The history Like, I started tried watching it when it first came out, and I didn't really like it, but because I expected it to just be Band of Brothers, but with Jungle. That's exactly the same as well. I didn't like it when it first came out. But like going back to it, it's actually it's really good. Yeah, yeah, I like it as well now. I'm exactly the same as you, mate. I'm like, <laughs> exactly the same. I didn't like it when it first came out. I was like, oh, this is nothing like Band of Brothers. Yeah. But it's different, but it's, it's still good. It's still, you know, yeah, yeah. respect it for what it is, ain't it? Not through who made it or the, the, yeah. the world, the series it's part of, maybe. Yeah, I think like just the whole concept, like focusing on a f- handful of people from completely different like divisions and stuff, it's... Not what I expected because I was expecting Band of Brothers Part Two, basically. Yeah. But no, so been enjoying that. How about you? How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I've busy week at work. It's been going pretty quick because I've been busy. Uh, and now it's Friday, so I'm feeling great now. <laughs> and got a weekend ahead of me, so I'm doing all right, mate. Uh, on, the, on, the, on what we're watching, I've been watching this series on Netflix called. Oh, what's it called? Van Helsing, it's like a series. Have you seen it? Okay. No. I saw the film, like the shitty I think, film. I think it's, yeah, it's not trashy, but it's not amazing, but I still watch it. Do you feel like, I'd, I'd say, like, the, yeah, I said, like, the film was shitty, like, the film was trashy, it was, like, great trashy. Yeah. Yeah, that's but, what no, this is like. It, it's a shame, though, because, like, there's some really good at actors in it like oh. really good actors and it's like a twist on the Van Helsing vampire story and it's an apocalyptic world sort of situation okay um, so it's pretty cool but sometimes some of the lines the characters say I'm like why like what they say I'm like that's stupid like why have they wrote <laughs> that like yeah, they yeah. write some of these lines like the main characters some of the lines they wrote for it like I'm just like, why would you make her be saying that? There's so many cooler things she could have done. And like, <laughs> she's clearly capable of it. She did it in the early seasons. Yeah. But, yeah so. Outsource it to chat GPT. Maybe, maybe they are. <laughs> Back in, I tried writing a... Uh, I had to write, um, try and write a new document at work to follow a new procedure. And I thought I'd try and get chat GPT to help me, but it cannot help me with it. I also tried yeah. to see if I could get to fix the rotor at work. No, I can't fix the rotor at work either. Like, it's not great. Yeah. Everything, you know, it's overstated how good it is, really. For I think everyone do. got very excited at the start, and they're kind of realising, oh, wait, no, this is exactly the same as every other, like, AI chat thing that's existed for the last yeah, 10 years. it can do code very well. Yeah. But that's because that's what it's fucking based on. <laughs> you know I mean? Have you seen these things where, like, you know, like, car dealerships have it, for example, and basically, like, People realised them to an hour and essentially instructed it through its like code logic to offer them cars for like one dollar and stuff like this. No, that's cool. <laughs> that's very cool. 
Yeah. Fight the machines, you know what I mean? It's John Connor, exactly. shit. Exactly. You know, if we don't stand up to them now, then it ends with Arnold Schwarzenegger melting into a big selfie pool in your bathtub, and you don't want that. No, you, I think that's yeah. how Terminator goes. That's <laughs> the whole, every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you got to be careful, man. got to be careful of your kiss. Might be an android, suck your brains out. <laughs> you just don't know anymore, do you? I mean, that Zuckerberg, should... silicon dick. He's fucking, he's definitely an android. <laughs> he's an android. Like, I don't care what anybody says, he's an android. Yeah, like, he is gonna like smash through your wall and crush your head like a tiny. Yeah, wall. he does jujitsu, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think he's a bit of an android. Cool. So that's, that's gonna be like the last episode of the show because we're gonna get sued by a fucking <laughs> Meta. <laughs> False claims, modern <laughs> android. My client, Unit Six Four Seven One, denies the claim that he's an android. <laughs> So what are you drinking then, mate? What you got going? She almost finished it there. I can see you've lost an empty glass. Yeah, I'm on the Sviani again. Basically, like, if I want nice beer, I have to go to the shop that is far, by which I mean, like, ten minutes drive. Or I can go to the immediately closest shop, and then Sviani is the good option. So, therefore, Sviani, because I'm lazy. Okay. What are the other options, then, if Sviani's best option? Uh, there's, like, standard check options. So there's, like... Cazelle, which is okay, it's alright, but I prefer Sviani. There's Gambrinus, which is okay, and then there's like some shitty ones like Branik. Branik is like uh, a few, but they tend to be extremely expensive, relatively speaking. Oh, okay. And also, like, I'm not going to go into a Czech shop and buy like a six pack of Heineken. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've lived off that our entire fucking year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> oh, I so, yeah. remember sitting around with like loads of bottles of Carlsberg. Remember them days when we were like, how old we must have been then? 16? Uh, yeah, 15, 16, 15, 15, I think more 16, like. 15, yeah, probably 15. <laughs> sitting around like, with bottles of Carl. I hated Carl. Lukewarm. Because there was Luke that many of us drinking that much Carlsberg. beer. There was no fridge space. I don't know if fridge yeah. I did it. <laughs> oh, and like the bloke selling it used to sell us the out-of-date stuff because he knew we weren't going to complain because he knew we were underage. Yeah, and he was on tag as well, I know. Trip down memory line. Probably shouldn't have admitted that on the podcast. Yeah, probably not. Because I think there's a, sta- it's a statute of limitations for it before. Yeah. Uh, what are you on? Uh, whiskey man, Glenn Livingstone, <laughs> working my way through that big battle. I'm, I, I liked it when we first had it. I'm going off it now. I don't know if it's because I've been drinking it for so long. Because you've drunk a massive fuck off bottle of it. Yeah. <laughs> bottles of it. I've actually had two bottles of it. That's the problem. That will do it. I'm coming that towards the it. end. But it's. Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, I mean, it's tough going. This stuff is. Yeah, a bit more. So I suppose we just crack on with the actual yeah. Let's actually do the podcast history and that. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so where do we get to? Where are we from? And who do we like? And who do we dislike from the places that we're from? Okay. 
<laughs> so the last time then, so we... I don't know whether you know, but every time I say something different when I ask you... Yeah, I've noticed And I'm this. running out of fucking things to say. So that's I like how you, you always... You ask it in ways which do not lead into the next section, like, even slightly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy you appreciated it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, crack on, bro. Where we at? <laughs> so last time then, so we finished up with a bit of the... And kind of the push factors into why the Nazis end up invading the Soviet Union, right? So, like, the yeah. resource shortages, um, Hitler's belief, okay, we're going to fight the British, we're going to fight the Americans, we have to defeat the Soviets as the stepping stone uh, to this, like, global race war that Hitler thinks he's fighting. So, we'll have a look at then this, to start with, a little bit about uh, a kind of comparison of, you know, the, the opposing forces. So the, the Germans go into this on the assumption that the Soviet Union is weaker than, you know, Tsarist Russia from the First World War. Remember, it's only 20 years previous. Um, so did obviously, they like, not have in, any some, like, spy networks to get some accurate figures? They did. Like, the, the thing is that the Soviets shouldn't have come as a massive surprise because the data and the information was out there. But the thing is, like... The Germans are super into this just ideological worldview. Yeah, yeah. They can't rationally assess the Soviets because they believe, you know, they're Slavic, they're inferior, they're communist, which means they're Jewish, which means they're inferior. They can't make a rational assessment. You know, Hitler famously says that all we have to do is kick in the door and the whole structure will collapse. You know, compare it to how they looked at fighting the French or the British, like in 1939, they were like, shit, this is going to be a fight to the death. Mm. And now they're going to war with the Soviet Union and they're like oh this is going to be a cakewalk there's no respect for the enemy um, yeah. there's a lot of arrogance going into it just don't make a rational assessment so I mean bear in mind like you know the Tsarist Russia in the First World War was like you know extremely backward by comparison to the other First World War powers it was you know illiterate peasants and stuff and they assume the Soviet Union is weaker than that obviously it's smaller has less people or less population because it's lost a lot of its territory even uh, from the end of the First World War. The Germans also, you know, they're looking at, for one thing, the Wehrmacht has been hugely successful and they no longer have respect for their enemies. Second, they're looking at, you know, GDP per capita. Germany is about two and a half times the size of the Soviet economy per capita basis. So, you know, it clearly shows that Germany is economically more developed man for man. Okay. But the Soviet Union has been going through extensive industrialization since the 1920s. There are now 30 million additional people living in cities in the Western Soviet Union. It's like new cities. 100 years late, and it? They've urbanized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they basically went through 100 years of urbanization, industrialization in the space of 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the communist five year plans, you know, it's achieved at an incredible cost in millions of lives, but it produced the results of a massive industrialization of the Soviet Union. They have all these new cities built from scratch. They have the, you know, the collectivized farms, especially in Ukraine, feeding it all. And also they've built up a military industrial base behind the Ural Mountains. So the Ural Mountains are like the border of Europe and Asia. So this is deep, deep inside the Soviet Union. And totally new cities built up to be military factories primarily. Okay. A lot of this is public knowledge. It's, you know, you can look at maps. There's a city there that wasn't there 10 years ago. Yeah. Similarly, Hitler knew specifically about the Soviet uh, newest weapons. 
So remember, the Soviet Union in the winter of 1940 invades, uh, winter of, yeah, 1940 invades uh, Finland. Mm. And they fight the winter war against the Finns, which ultimately they win, but they take a severe pasting from the Finns to do it. But during this war, they deploy their newest and greatest tanks, the KV-1 and the T-34. Vars, do you want to give the listeners a little rundown of what the KV-1 or the T-34 is like? T-34, I think, is a game changer when it comes out. That's Mm -hmm. a huge game changer to the war. And Well, it is because the the Germans, in response, made a big gun. Because... Essentially, it's a little ship box that's really well angled. It's got a very good turret on it. Like, it looks like nothing. You look at it, and it doesn't look like it doesn't look like a cool vehicle. I don't think <laughs> by any stretch of imagination. It's just standard tank, very standard tank, but it works. Like it's functional, very functional. But you think of it in the context of 1940, like the T-34. You're like you're looking at like you know relatively thick angled armor 76 millimeter gun you compare it to the main german tank in 1940 yeah, which yeah. is the panzer 2 which is like just, i just a think machine it just gun looks box. like a shit box i think <laughs> it just looks like a total shit box that tank does there's nothing cool about it i don't think <laughs> i know you love it though but i think it's like the thing of what these tanks are compared to the german especially the kv1 as well this is going to cause big problems for the germans kv one's a big tank yeah it's a big big player. heavy tank 76 millimeter gun armor yeah. basically impervious to every gun in the german arsenal and again but you know these soviet tanks are running 76 millimeters uh the german tanks and for the most part are using 37 millimeter so the the gun is like a pea shooter by comparison to these soviet tanks and their armor is way thicker as well mm. Hitler knows about these, like, world-beating uh, kit. Hitler knows the Red Army has the biggest tank fleet in the world. He knows the Red Army Air Force is the biggest air force in the world. He knows that the Soviets are the world's third largest producer of steel behind Germany. So what I want to come to is like, people often talk about like Hitler's invasion of the Soviet Union is his greatest mistake. It's not a mistake. Hitler was always going to do this. Like, it's absolutely central to his, like, you know plans for the world so no one should ever say oh this was a mistake because it wasn't hitler knew what he was doing and he did it deliberately the mistake hitler made was not understanding that the soviet union is stronger than Tsarist russia that he didn't understand the communists had completely transformed soviet society and the economy and they'd done it in a way like hitler or mussolini were never able to do in their countries you know like germany in 1939 is not any more advanced or really wealthy in any way than not germany in 1933 Whereas you compare Russia in 1916 to Russia in 1939, it's a completely different ball game. Mm-hmm. You know, like, or Mussolini's Italy. Mussolini's been in power since 1922. Italy is still like a semi industrialised country. Yeah. So he, his own ideology and racial view of the world prevents him from being able to assess the Soviet Union realistically. So we looked then. Uh, okay, so we looked last time about the things that kind of pushed the Soviets and uh, the Germans into needing to attack the Soviets. So what I'm going to do now is look at what they were hoping to achieve. So I'm going to turn back to our man from last last episode, Herbert Backer, the guy from the Agricultural Ministry, the massive like uh, scientific racist, basically, yeah. really into like you know like racial hierarchies and like oh we're scientifically superior. So this guy has... 
<laughs> Don't worry, he does get his comeuppance at the end, that's alright. But he's a catastrophic piece of shit. So even in like 1940, early 41, Herbert Bakker is already drawing up plans for how they're going to get 4 million tonnes of grain per year out of Ukraine. Even before the, you know, they've started the war with Soviet Union, he's already planning how the agriculture is going to work. Mm. And the, following his own logic, is like, ah, we also need to conquer the Caucasus, i.e. like modern Azerbaijan, because we need the oil from there to power the tractors in Ukraine uh, to get the food to Germany. So it's like, even the logic of, like, we're going to invade for the food means we have to invade more to get the oil to power yeah. the food. <laughs> That's literally computer game logic, ain't it? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so this this is what uh, Adam Tooze describes as the last great land grab of European colonialism. And he puts it in a tradition that goes back to, like, you know, uh, conquistadors arriving in the Americas. And that's kind of the mindset to put it into. So the SS have already been, like, dividing up Polish land. They've already begun, like, racially cleansing Poland. And... The uh, the point where Hitler says, okay, yes, we're going to do the Soviet Union, the SS gets its wildest dreams kind of set loose for how they're going to make a racially pure future for the Aryan race in conquered Eastern Europe, right? And they can open up all their dreams about destroying European Jews and communists and redistributing, reordering the world for the benefit of, like, German settlers, right? And in 1941, there's kind of an escalation of the... Uh, racial and genocidal logic of the Nazi regime. So it kind of reaches its fruition, like its perfection, in in the start of 1942. But like, there's an escalation already ongoing in 1941. As soon as the German tanks roll into the Soviet Union, like the death squads are moving behind them to kill off Jewish populations, to kill anyone connected with the Soviet state. Uh, in January of 1942, Reinhard Heydrich of the SS chairs a meeting of various ministries at a place called uh, 1C and this is known as the 1C conference and here they will finalize the final solution to the Jewish question i.e that they will sit down in a meeting and plan out exactly how they're going to destroy the Jews of Europe so they have the meeting we know they had the meeting because they took minutes and we have the minutes okay. <laughs> yeah like grim to it. It's shockingly, like, banal and bureaucratic. And this is deliberate, because they knew they were planning a fucking monstrous crime, so yeah. they're trying not to leave the evidence. Um, but they lay out what will be the complete extermination of Europe's Jews. There's no criticism of the plan for any of the ministers present. Everybody in the meeting is on board. Um, there is, in fact, a film called Conspiracy, which came out in, like, 2003, I think, with Kenneth Branagh. And they basically use the minutes as the uh, script. It's almost one-to-one -one just from the minutes of the thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I recommend that one for anyone who's interested in this. So it's like, it's also a thing where like, you, when you talk with people that are doing like Holocaust denial, they'll say things like, oh, there's nothing explicit Hitler saying gas all the Jews. And this is true, there isn't. But it's very, very clear from the minutes of the meeting that they talk about removing the population and that many of them won't survive and it's like well where are they going it's yeah. pretty obvious what's happening so the the final solution relates specifically to the uh 
plans for the Jewish population of Europe. What about like the non-Jewish then? So for them, they came up with what's called General Plan Ost, so General Plan for the East. General Plan Ost doesn't mention Jewish people at all. It already assumes that they've been destroyed as, as like a base point of its logic. Yeah, okay. So what General Plan Ost lays out is a removal of population. So in Poland, this would be 85% of the population removed, 64% of Ukraine, 75% of Belarus. At a minimum, we are talking about 45 million people excluding Jews. Now, there's nothing explicit about where these people are going to go. They're just going to be removed. And obviously, that implies they're going to die. In return, the plan would then, all this land that's just been freed up, would be settled with 10 uh, 10 million Germans moving in and having land in which to have like farming homesteads. And the model for the American, uh, for the Germans, is the American settlement of the West. Yeah. Okay. So, like, clearing out the native inferior quotation marks population, um, and as Hitler put it, that Europe, not America, will be the land of unlimited possibilities. So, opening up all this free land, get rid of the people that are there, bring the like the march of progress. That's how Hitler sees it. So the land will be all divided up into family plots, each plot big enough to support one German settler family. And again, it's all about like the purity of this like agricultural life, you know, the ideal, the woman at home, many children, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they would also have like, you know, the latest and greatest like machinery and tractors. So they, you know, get the most out of the land. They have the highest standard of living possible. There would also be some bigger estates which would be run by the SS and they would have uh, the Slavic population as basically slave labour. Mm-hmm. So for this vision, they would need you know lots of machinery, lots of tractors, lots of animals. If this plan had ever been carried out in its full, it would have cost at least 67 billion marks, which is the same as all of the military spending from 1930 to 1939. So it implies huge investment. Yeah. Which they don't have. Yeah, which they don't have. So is there any plan about where that, that any of that money is going to come from? Or is so that just, of, is that just mm-hmm. something we just... We'll worry about that later. <laughs> it's definitely... Yeah, it's definitely... We'll, we'll get there when we get there, you know. But they start putting steps in place for it. And the massive scale of the building they're planning has lots of implications for what happened. actually ends up happening. So in 1942, Himmler is quoting, If we do not fill our camps with slaves who will build our cities, our villages, our farms without any regard to any losses, then even after years of war, we will not have enough money to be able to equip the settlements in such a manner that real Germanic people can live there. Mm-hmm. I.e., the only way we can have this dream life is off the back of slave labour. So the preparation of the ground for this is a massive expansion of the concentration camp system. That if they're going to have this dream future that they're fighting the war for, therefore they must have the concentration camps in place to have this labour force. So I mentioned earlier, the final solution agreed at 1C under Reinhard Heydrich's plan. So this plan doesn't mention gassing or shooting Jews, but what it does talk about is separating out those who are fit to work 
and force them to work, and again, quote from Heydrich, in the process of which, without a doubt, a large part will drop out due to natural wastage, i.e. we will natural deliberately work people. Wastage. <laughs> yeah. What a... We will literally work people to death, is what they're saying. And obviously, if you're sorting out the fit people, that implies you're also sorting out the unfit people. And again, it's obvious what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so the what comes with the concentration camps, which are you know the labour camps, come the death camps, to kill off those who are unfit for labour. And Sorgo make a really good point today. Um, so we take Auschwitz. So we have the concentration camp, we have the chemical factory, and we have Auschwitz Birkenau, which is the death camp, just purely for extermination. At the height of its operations, Auschwitz Birkenau could kill fifteen thousand people in a single day. What? How? Yeah, just you know, the sheer industrial process of the gas chambers. Uh, that's how quickly they could kill. Fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand. A day. Mm-hmm. Fuck. So, like, to put it in context for like you know the people listening, think of your hometown. Think how many people live in your hometown, and think how long would it take them to kill everyone in my hometown. Yeah. That's that, almost know, everyone here. Yeah. In Northfield, just Northfield. You know, if in Birmingham it was like in a million people, it's like three months. Yeah. So. It's dark. This. Yeah, it's dark. But it's like, you see how the two things, all these things come together. Like, the reason why they're fighting the war, the vision they have for it, and, you know, not just, okay, on the one hand, they're going after the Jews because they believe them to be like this racial ideological enemy, but also for this future they're trying to build only works if they enslave the Jewish people to their, like, you know, extermination. Mm. So the entire German economy becomes... Uh, it becomes dependent on like you know the slave labor of Jewish people and others, and it becomes a machine for killing them. Mm. And as you cannot separate anything in Germany out from the genocide, like you cannot separate these things at all. Uh, so yes, yeah, exactly. It's you can't pick out any and be like oh, well this bit we can you know we can admire this panzer regiment just on its military record or yeah but what are they fighting for mm. you know what I mean alright so let's bring it back to the battlefield and let's yeah let's talk about something with less uh, <laughs> less mass fucking death yeah, but I think it's important. We always have to have this in mind when you talk about the Nazis. Is this is what the Nazis were? Grim as fuck. And, That's what they yeah. were. Grim as fuck. And I think it's I think it's why it's always fair to say that you know there's many evil things in this world. The Nazis are in a special and different category of their own. Yeah. I don't think there is anything else in human history like that sort of industrial killing machine for fifteen thousand people in one camp per day. And out, you know, there's dozens more death camps. Mm. That's mad. Anyway, so we'll bring you back to the military. I'm gonna have to like give you a little warning. There's gonna be a little bit more genocide talk, <laughs> and then we we'll just go back to tanks. It's a tiny little bit of more genocide, guys. But this this one's also another 
again, relating into just the what the fuck were they doing aspect of the Nazis. So the Wehrmacht has made its own calculations about their resources, right? Like they have their own understanding of this is how much we have, this is how much we use, this is how long we can keep going, right? And they had already assessed that 1940 was the last year in which they could be confident they'll have enough food. So we're going into the 1941 campaigning season and the army's already assessing, not sure we can feed us. Yeah. <laughs> so June, June of 1941. Uh... <laughs> Fucking madness, aren't it? <laughs> right, so we know, we, they knew they couldn't feed us. Yeah. They already knew that they already were. Already knew this. And yep. gone, yeah, yeah. Let's go. And remember last time we said, like, you know, the the German army's own logic was we can get 500 kilometers into the Soviet Union, then we can do 500 kilometers more if we double up the trucks, and then we're fucked. Yeah. They've already made this calculation, already made this logic in going into the thing. So, end of June 1941, the kickoff invasion uh, Operation Barbarossa, the biggest invasion in human history. And despite the fact that the Soviet intelligence had completely infiltrated both Germany and Japan, that Stalin had reports down to the day and the hour of when the attack would come, Stalin refused to believe it was coming. He was like, here they were the <laughs> Yeah, I knew this to be fair, but it's still funny. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. He was like, no, yeah. don't believe you. Yeah, you can trust Hitler. <laughs> he doesn't lie. So they're caught completely off guard. And Stalin, in fact, is issuing orders to the Red Army not to prepare, not to dig in, not to make anything that could be seen as provocative. With the result that the Red Army on the border is fucking smashed in the first days. Yes. They take enormous losses. So as early as the 3rd of July, um, Franz Halder, the Army Chief of Staff, declares the battle's already won. This is like a week and a half after the start of the operation. But the Red Army is smashed against the borders in the first weeks. 3.7 million Red Army soldiers are captured in the first months of Barbarossa. Wow. That's a massive number, but by like USSR standards of manpower, yeah. that's fucking nothing, is it, really? <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounds like a big number, which it is. It's, wow, it's a lot of people, but there's a lot more. Yeah, that, there's... That big-ass country, there's a lot more. But, you know, from the German perspective, everything's going great. The whole thing is, we must destroy the Red Army before we get to the Davina River. They believe they're on course for this. By the end of July, the you know, the, the uh, German army is organised into three army groups. Army Group North, Centre and South, right? Army Group North, they have the directive of uh, seizing Leningrad, modern day St. Petersburg. Army Group Centre for Moscow. Army Group South into Ukraine and ultimately the Caucasus. So they're achieving the objectives, they're smashing the army, they're racing ahead, and by the end of July, they have basically reached their logistical limit. They've reached that 1,000 kilometres that the, the supply can support, and they stop. They can't go on, you know. They've outrun the trucks, they've outrun the ability to bring fuel up, you know. There's kind of a diminishing returns logic. If you fill a truck with fuel, there's a point where you use more fuel to move yeah, the truck than you. So, like, did they just dig in then and sit there? <laughs> when they run out of fuel because obviously no fuel that's a lot like you run on the attack here you run rations there's no supply there's like 
Fuck yeah. Oh, so then, you fucking spoilers you gotta come, you gotta eat, you gotta fucking dig in, you gotta fourth, you know, you gotta, you gotta do stuff, ain't you? Yeah, so I mean, like, one of the problems the Germans have is with the Soviet railway network is, one, not great, and two, it's a different gauge to uh, uh, the German gauge. Yeah. So you can't use the same trains. No, no, And you no, have to judge okay. over. Um, but what they do is they kind of optimise this to be just focusing the, the ammunition and the fuel... And everything else gets left by the wayside. Importantly, that includes winter gear, which is going to be relevant later. So everything's... Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking cold, that part of the world, man. It's, uh... Well, we're already in October, so... So, so here we're, we're in July at this point. So, okay, it's high summer. But we're now starting to be behind deadline. And at this point, the Red Army launches a massive counterattack. Mm-hmm. All along the, you know, the, the 1,500 kilometres. tanks as well with the 234 fours and the KVs as well yeah. Yeah, yeah so I mean like there's not huge numbers of these available but there's oh, definitely yeah. there's definitely moments where like a single KV1 stops the division because mm. the Germans are there with like 37mm and they refer the troops refer to their own guns as door knockers because they're just hitting the tanks like hundreds of times and nothing happening and a KV1 just you know rolling over entire German column the best German tanks are the Panzer III or like the the Czech tanks, the thirty five and the thirty eight. What year are we in now? Nineteen forty one. So you know, like you, you kind of your classic German tanks, like your Tigers, your Panthers, your long seventy five Panzer IV. These don't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Anything bigger than a thirty seven mil, not in the German arsenal at this point. Yeah. I would like to point out they do. They have a very, they have some very good guns. After this, they do learn. This is probably one of the one things they did right. One of the only things they probably fucking did right. To be fair, <laughs> if you think about the the massive amount of mistakes that they've made, like tactical mistakes, mm. that gun change did did change things for them. I'd say because it, it made give them the ability to kill these tanks. Like they they they, they came out with two guns. So like you said, the Panzer four. But then Germany at that same uh, USA at that same point. They were up in their tanks, weren't they? But it's still a good gun, not the yeah. target gun. The 88 is it's a fucking really good gun. Yeah, really good so gun. this is how they you know, had to deal with it, was using their anti-aircraft 88mm guns as anti-tank guns. But, I mean, mm. if you're using your anti-aircraft gun as an anti-tank gun, things are not going well. No, no, no. But, I mean, like, ultimately, like, you know, the Germans have control of the skies here because the Red Army Air Force is destroyed on the ground. Again, Stalin refuses to allow them to make any preparation... So all oh, the planes so. are like neatly lined up in the open. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so the, yeah, they don't have huge numbers of the KV ones and T thirty fours, but where they are available, they're a serious problem for the Germans, and they're able to like cause days of stop with small numbers of tanks. Mm. But this this counteroffensive goes on for a couple of months, goes on into September. Again, it incurs huge losses for the Red Army. Red Army's, you know, it's Equipment's a really mixed bag. Most of what they have is older and not great. Also, important to remember is Red Army leadership has been purged by Stalin in the late 1930s um, in these great show trials where Stalin became convinced the army was plotting against him and had most of the military leadership of the Soviet Union uh, murdered. Yeah. Real thing. A lot of people died. 
Yeah, which is not great for them fighting a war after you've just yeah. killed everybody. Like I said before, that Stalin, he loves a list. He likes to put <laughs> people's names on lists far too much. He's mad for his lists, isn't he? Really good at going to the supermarket. Yeah, man loves a list. <laughs> just made too many of them with people's names on them. <laughs> <laughs> so... But the, the outcome of all this, okay, like, eventually, like, the, the Red Army is not able to keep these attacks going. The loss is too heavy. But they've slowed this all down into September, and the Germans, they're falling behind schedule. And we're getting into the autumn, Way which... schedule, yeah. Yeah, the autumn in this part of the world, not particularly pleasant. And we have another problem, which is, like I've said, the, the supply infrastructure is poor. And now we need to feed 3 million soldiers and 600,000 horses. Where is the food going to come from? So our man Herbert Backer, our hero from the Agriculture Ministry, comes to the rescue. Oh yeah, yeah, top gazer is. Yeah, nothing negative is going to come from the famous race scientist. <laughs> race science, good to know. <laughs> So his plan is that they will take all of the food in occupied Ukraine and they will feed the army directly from Ukraine. Oh, so they're just going to pillage it as they go. Basically, yes. <laughs> There's a fairly fundamental problem. You think, like, you know, that farmland in Ukraine was feeding all of these new European cities and now all of that food's going to uh, the German army, which means all of the new cities in European Soviet Union Starved. don't have any food. Yeah. So the inevitable result of this plan is the deliberate starving to death of everyone who lives in a city in the European half of the Soviet Union. Herbert Backer described them as useless mouths. Wow. <laughs> how do you imagine, like, you know, you know, the honourable, aristocratic, Prussian-led German army, how do you imagine they reacted to this? I can't, they wouldn't have liked this. I'm, I can't, I'm not surprised. There should have been a coup, man. Like, they would have been fuming about this. They're fancy pants, men. No, they were With fucking moustaches. bang on board. Fully what bang on they? board. Of it. Yep. Why? Because they recognise logistically impossible to move food from Europe to feed the army. Totally okay with this. Wow. This is what is called the hunger plan. And this would... Uh, so this was openly accepting 20 to 30 million people would die. If it was, you know, fully successful. Obviously, cities are hard to starve. Course, man. I thought yeah, that... That, uh, even they would have stood up, you know, because, you know, they've been all wrong nah. so far. They've been following orders, haven't they? Now they're just fucking complicit. Yeah, Freaks. no, fully complicit. Like, there is no separate... People go like, like oh, the SS were bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. The no. Desert Fox, they call him. <laughs> the Desert Fox. He's a fucking prick as well, ain't he? Yeah. You know, people want to separate, oh, the clean Wehrmacht, the bad SS. No. No, 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 yeah, no, no. They're all fuckers. All fucking in it. Obviously, cities are hard to starve, you know. The area around them, people are going to farm, people have you know, allotments and shit, and people can flee. So the cities themselves will struggle, but they can get through. The officials on the ground, like administering the occupied cities, aren't trying to stop the people around the, you know, in the cities, like, immediate countryside feeding them. Because they don't want to be lynched by angry Soviet peasants, you know. Wow, well, yeah. I they have to control them. Lynched by angry Soviet peasants either. 
But what this does mean is the people who are completely in the control of the Nazis are going to be starved to death. And that's two groups, which are Jewish people and Soviet prisoners of war. You know what? I don't... What, what, did they not think that all these people might like rise up against us if we carry on like this? I mean... It's a good question, actually. Worry, like, like, civil disobedience. I think when you're, like, literally going in the logic of we intend to kill everybody, yeah. it's not such a problem. Doesn't I mean, like... Because we'll just kill them. But it is true, like, m- uprisings in cities, relatively rare. I mean, there's the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising and then the Warsaw Uprising later. But apart from that, and the Prague Uprising in forty five. Yeah, There's that's... not many situations where people rose up. Okay, but, um, yeah, so the people at greatest risk of this starvation plan were the Jewish population who were being shepherded into ghettos and Soviet prisoner wars. Um, so by the February of 1942, so this is like eight months after the invasion, barely seven months, two million Red Army soldiers had been starved to death. In total, 4.2 million Soviet citizens would be starved to death during the war as a deliberate result of these policies. What a rough time to be a soldier. I mean, the only good news is that eventually after the war, Herbert Backer was captured by the Allies and he would kill himself in his prison cell before he could be hanged. Uh, So, fuck you, Herbert Backer. Yeah, (laughs) fuck you, Herbert Backer. So where are we at the battlefield then? You know, after all this fucking, you know, depressing bollocks that we got. Like, where are we with the tanks and the, and the, and the cool stuff? All right. So at the end of August in 1941, there's a lot of division in Germany about what to do. Like uh, Goebbels writes in his diary, like in the mid of August, that he goes to meet Hitler and finds Hitler talking about trying to get a peace deal with Stalin. Mm. So it's like Hitler's own confidence in what's happening is a bit shaken after this big Red Army counterattack. And there's division amongst the leadership as well about what to focus on militarily, right? Uh, Halder, the Army Chief of Staff, and Fedor von Bock, the commander of Army Group Centre, they want to focus on pushing for Moscow, get to Moscow as quickly as possible, destroy the Red Army, capture the political centre of the Soviet Union, cause it to collapse. Hitler, I think we're in August, Hitler's focusing on conquering Ukraine. To secure the food. Because think August we're approaching harvest season. Yeah. So Hitler's focus is conquer Ukraine, secure the food supply. Obviously, if you're having disagreement and your boss is Hitler and Hitler says one thing and you said a different thing. What Hitler says goes. Yeah, exactly. That's so they launch. In love. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke, by the way, everyone. <laughs> Be more convincing if you weren't sitting there in an SS uniform. Yeah, yeah, they don't get to say that though. <laughs> <laughs> so they launch a offensive into Ukraine, which is the like you know as far away as possible from Moscow, pretty much. They win a huge victory. Uh, they capture Kiev. Six hundred fifty thousand Soviet troops encircled after a few weeks of heavy fighting. So again, these encirclements are massive, um, but. It's taken the German momentum in the wrong direction in terms of knocking the Russians out, uh, the Soviets out of the war quickly. Oh, yeah. 
Now, the Stalin regime does kind of buckle, especially in the middle of October. There's rumours flying around that he's fled from Moscow. Panic begins to set in. Um, but they're able to restore order. Stalin demonstrates he though he's still in Moscow. And he appoints a new general for the defence of Moscow, our man Georgi Zhukov. Oh, Mr. Zhukov. Very, so, very famous uh, Russian general, tank leader, strategist, all-round classy character. Yeah, General Soviet Badass. Yeah. So Zhukov, lots of medals. Like, in the film Death of Stalin, they actually had to tone down the number of medals because they'd be like, okay, this would be unbelievable if he wore all of his medals. Yeah. (laughs) Great film, documentary, everyone watch it. Yeah, fantastic film. Death of Stalin, strongly recommend. So he begins construction of a final defensive lines, like has all of like hundreds of thousands of women and children out of Moscow digging anti-tank ditches, digging trenches in front of the city to prepare for a final um, face-off. At the same time, the autumn rain begins on the 8th of October. And I think, as you've probably all seen now from the war in Ukraine... Rain in like Russia and Ukraine doesn't fuck around. Like the autumn rain is a serious business. All the battlefield footage you see is just a mud pool. Exactly. And you think like nineteen forties, like primarily dirt roads, just turn to a swamp. Yeah. No logistical the, capability. It completely breaks down. Tanks, trucks, nothing can move. The German army is stopped completely until the rain stops and it begins to freeze. Uh, I'm but still, so, fun then. And then, then, you, then the fun starts. <laughs> the oh, good. Russian Ukrainian winter. <laughs> oh, good. The swamp has frozen. Now we can keep going. Kind of watch out for the polar bears. But you know, the situation is still pretty fucking dire from the Soviet perspective. Like, the Germans have smashed deep into the country. Um, you know, they've narrowly survived October. But there's this kind of big key iconic moment in November. So they have an annual parade to commemorate the, the revolution, right? On November the 7th. And they organise the parade as usual, despite the war conditions. And the soldiers they form up marching through Red Square and then they march directly from Red Square onto the battle lines. It's a huge propaganda moment, huge significance. Like uh, the revolution defending itself. Yeah. And this becomes like such a keystone of Soviet propaganda in the future. This image of the soldiers parading, marching, saluting Stalin, and then going straight to the battlefield. Yeah. Meanwhile, Did you come up with these ideas? Because I had some cool like... Like, there's a lot of cool Soviet stuff, do you know what I mean? Where you can be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, like, they really these ideas? get the They've aesthetics. They've got some, like, working man coolness going on. Like, they? Where, where'd they get these ideas from? Did they have a propaganda one? I mean, they, they... In terms of a person, there's not, like, a Goebbels or a Lenny Reifen mm. style that I can think of. I mean, they had... Ah, uh, fuck, there's a filmmaker... Eisenstein, I think was the name who made films like Battleship Potemkin. Um, And some of the scenes from his films, you definitely see in modern films even now. Like, uh, you know, um, in in the Star Wars prequels, 
in the in the episode three, there's a bit where like the clone troopers are marching up the steps to the Jedi Temple. Okay. That is a shot for shot remake of an Eisenstein okay. film. Okay. So they have some of this going on, but I think it's also like you know the Soviet Union could just attract like intellectuals and artists, and it's like you know just mm. appealing to the communist hippie types. Um. And also they had like a state-directed art direction. So like, okay, we're, we're doing socialist realism. Like, you know, all the pictures are like muscular men with hammers making shit and like, you know, yeah. muscular men of all races shaking hands. This is socialist realism. It's a centrally directed art style. So it's like really yeah. unified image. So on the flip side, back in Germany. This week. Quick swig. Remember, we've said back at the start of this that everything is predicated on a logic of quick defeat of the Red Army. Within the first 500 kilometers, Soviet Union knocked out the war so that they can do the real war against British and Americans. The German economy, in line with that, swings into production for an air war against British and French, uh, British and Americans. So the army has its allocation of resources slashed. Everything shuffled to the Luftwaffe to build planes. The economy is already assuming the Soviets have been defeated. Mm, the plan's falling apart. The plan is falling apart. The generals begin panicking because they know they're running out of ammunition. They've been burning through their stocks. They've had massive losses. A lot of the frontline divisions, like the Panzer divisions, have been smashed. They've taken enormous losses. This division's going in on like one third of their uh, theoretical strength on tanks. Again, people talk about, oh, the general winter and the winter defeat the Germans. No, the Red Army bled the Germans out. Like, the German divisions were smashed f going through all these Soviet defences. Obviously, the Soviets paid in obscene numbers of lives to do it. But, you know, the German army didn't fall apart out of nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Ground so itself to a nothingness. Yeah, they were just like, you know... They're like, here's a brick wall, I'm going to use my forehead to smash it down. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually your skull caves in. <laughs> One of these things is going to give in before the other, you know? Yeah. So the generals are panicking, because they know they need to rebuild their stock, they need to resupply their tanks, they know also they need a new generation of kit. They're running up against T-34s and KV-1s, which they can't deal with. They need new tanks. So... Hitler personally gets involved and he overrules the allocation of resources. So he says, okay, this is the plan everyone's agreed and working to. This goes out the window. Now, every branch of the military can order whatever it likes. No restrictions. So it's Yay. like, yeah, if, <laughs> if everything's a priority, then nothing is a priority. Like, it's just going to go to whoever shouts the loudest. So the whole organized control of material, fucking gone. All of the resource control, gone. Just everyone scream for what they want. <laughs> tactics. <laughs> you know, like meme with like stonks, like Hitler with tactics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the state of the German army going into the. You know, we're now into November, December of 1941. Their top divisions have been smashed and remember those are the ones that are like with the trucks and the tanks and the half trucks everyone else is walking and horses yeah a lot of they're horses. walking 1500 kilometers into the soviet union at this point that's a lot of kilometers and poor horses 
as we said before, they had to like prioritize ammunition and fuel, so the winter supplies got left behind. It is now minus 25 degrees. And they've also been pushing forward as fast as they can go. Everything has been like, drive, 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 go, go, go. Everyone is exhausted. It's not like the Battle of France where you can have three days of perverting and just fucking smash it. Yeah. They've been going for months now. There has been no time to dig in. And also, the Germans have lost any idea or understanding of what's happening on the Soviet side. The Germans estimate they are facing 200 Soviet divisions. How many do you think they're really facing? Double it, I bet. Triple it. Fat. There we go. <laughs> 600 Soviet divisions are ahead of them. This so is when the turning the... point, this is. This is where yes, the lack exactly. of reality like, completely fucking goes in against them. Like it should have yeah. many times. Exactly. There's been so many times exactly. where really stupid things, tactically stupid things like this. And they've got away with it through pure dumb luck. And now this is the one that's going to bomb in the ass, isn't it? Exactly. This you sets know, everything rolling. What happens like next, basically? Exactly. You, what it reminds me, you know, like you know, like the wily e. coyote, and he like runs off the cliff, and he keeps running for a bit until he realizes he's run is yeah. above ground. This is that moment where Hitler's realizing, oh shit, I'm not on the road anymore. So this is when the best tanks come out as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you got to cut with something. Well, this the tanks were cool. We got something out of it. We got a really yeah. cool computer games, and thank yeah, you, yeah. Hitler. Say thank you. So while the Germans no longer know what's happening on the Soviet side, the flip side is the Germans and also Germany's uh, contacts in Japan. Japan is not a treaty ally at this point, but Germany is trying to make them an ally. Mm -hmm. Both sides of this are compromised by Soviet intelligence. Uh, And into December of 1941, so like going back a few years, the Soviets and the Japanese had this like border clashes, right? Um, They fought like a small scale war which culminated in a Soviet victory over the Japanese at Kalkin Gol, which is where Zhukov made his reputation. Okay. But obviously there's like this tension, imperialist fascist Japan versus communist Soviet Union. There's been a lot of forces kept on the border. Remember, Japan occupies Korea and uh, Manchuria, which is the northeast part of modern-day China. Yeah. Soviet intelligence now, in December 1941, is certain that Japan is not going to attack the Soviet Union. This means that Stalin can ta- safely take a gamble and move all of those divisions ah, on the border. border. Yeah. yeah. And those are like, you know, experienced guys who've been fighting the Japanese and now being sent back to Europe. Mm-hmm. So on the 5th of December, uh, Marshal Zhukov begins the counterattack around Moscow. Marshal? Uh, yeah, that's his title. I, oh, shit. I don't know if he's actually promoted at this point. <laughs> I can't remember if he's general or marshal at this point, but oh, he can be marshal. He's, he's always man. exactly he's the man. He's always marshal, even when he's born. Now he's a child. He's a marshal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Marshal Zhukov orders the counterattack around Moscow. Army Group Center collapses from the shock of this. Like the, the men are psychologically not prepared for this, and it's a massive you know artillery bombardment, tank onslaught. All of these Soviet divisions, which they don't believe are there, come bearing down. It's when they and dog mines as well. That comes later, I think. That's a 1942 Battle thing. Curse. Yeah, that's 43. Do you want to explain to the audience what a dog mine is? 
Yeah, it's basically you strap a mine to a dog and then you train <laughs> the dogs to run under tanks. And then the tanks, you strap the mine to the dog and then you let it go because it's trying to run under a tank. It runs under the tank and the pressure of the dog pushes the mine up and gets bottom of the tank and blows it up. <laughs> Thank so you for your fucking dog. loads of these. They must have had a lot of stray dogs or something so I don't know where they're getting all the dogs from. Yeah, because then after the war... they be giving the dog to be a mine like... My dog, yeah. I've got a dog. It, you can't have him as a mine, Ross. Like, if you asked me, I'd say no, and you're my best friend. I have got this this explosive kit. <laughs> so I'm not letting St- Stalin do it. No chance. Yeah, the Soviets had a thing about dogs. Because, like, you know, in the 50s, they were sending dogs into space where yeah, they died. They, space, yeah. they had the thing where they, like, decapitated two dogs and then kept the heads alive and trained it to respond to food. Like the Ugh. mouth would still, yeah, they kept like the head, detached head alive, and the mouth would still water when it's looking at food. So it's did some weird shit. Like people have been, sometimes have this like idea of like this pure like science and logic and reason. The Soviets did weird scientific shit because of ideology. Like they refused to believe things like uh, about how plants grow because they considered it ideologically impure. So they had their own version. And they're like, oh, we're going to make these huge, like, wonderful crop yields in, like, Central Asia. And the whole thing went horribly fucking wrong. But it's because they wouldn't accept standard genetic science because it wasn't socialist. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> that Western science. But, yeah, so in the, in the December of 1941, they launched this massive attack. Army Group Centre completely breaks down. Discipline breaks down. Soldiers are just grabbing food and running. Remember, they're like starving. They have no coats. They have frostbite. They're losing thousands of men per day to frostbite. They have nothing, and they're just being overwhelmed by tanks and artillery, and they begin running for their lives. Can't blame them, can you? No, not at all. Um, The army commander-in-chief, von Brauschwitz, is fired, and within a matter of weeks, all three of the commanders of the army groups have been fired as well. Hitler clears the deck of the leadership. In the space of two months, the Germans lose 380,000 men. And Army Group Centre is facing destruction come the January of 1942. The thing is, at this moment, Stalin senses it. He senses the Germans are on the edge. Defeat of the German army is imminent in his grasp. So he orders a general offensive across the entire line, all 1,500 kilometres to the front, takes massive casualties of the German army, this huge-scale onslaught, but it relieves the pressure on Army Group Centre by spreading the attack across the entire line. Army Group North and Army Group South, which have not been facing the same intensity, now get some of the attack, but it relieves the pressure on Army Group Centre and they survive. If Stalin had focused only on Zhukov's attack on Army Group Centre, the Wehrmacht probably would have been destroyed in 1942. Right, it would have been, wouldn't it? And that would have been it. Another important step in kind of saving the Germans, Hitler's generals are advising him, retreat, bring the army back, we try again next year. Hitler remembers the lessons of Napoleon. Napoleon's army is destroyed on the retreat from Moscow, right? He orders the army to dig in. Hitler is making the correct choice. If you listen to his generals, the German army will be destroyed as it's falling back. He orders them to dig in, stand their ground, this saves them from the you know the Russian onslaught in the winter. 
So this is once again Hitler overruling the generals and being correct in doing so. So another step in undermining the ability of the army to remove Hitler. To close it out, one more big event happens in December of 1941. Uh, Christmas? The... Yeah, Christmas, of course. <laughs> Apart from that, on the 7th of December, the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor. Mm. What do you think Hitler's reaction to that was? You're in Hitler's shoes. Like, things, you know, two days into Zhukov's counteroffensive. Everything's going kind of wrong for the German army in Russia. What do you think Hitler's response is to Japan attacking well, the Americans? Well, I don't know what my response would be in that situation because is he seeing? He sees them as an enemy, doesn't he? Yes, he, he does. sees the US as an enemy, so you'd think he'd be happy about it, but it's giving him another problem. So I don't know if he, he sees that. Yeah, no, he's delighted. He's Really happy, and Hitler declares war on the USA as well. What the fuck, man? They're yeah. Losing, they're, they're clearly <laughs> losing a war. He's another enemy. <laughs> a really big one, another one. <laughs> yeah, you're like, okay, cool, 50% of global GDP, let's take it on, fantastic. That Hitler's delighted, and I think it's also a thing that gets lost, is Germany declares war on America, not the other way around. He's having his fall in war right now. Exactly, he's, he's getting his, what he he's wants. He's having his now to decide once and for all who's the master race. But it's also like from the way he looks at 1942, this is actually the best outcome. So, December of 1942, uh, 1941, clearly Barbarossa has failed to achieve its objective, right? The Soviet Union has not been destroyed. They are now in the worst case long war scenario. But. The Japanese attack on the British and Americans, because they don't just attack Pearl Harbor, they attack Hong Kong and Malaya and other places as well. This ensures that the Allies will not have the initiative in 1942. The British and Americans are going to be responding to Japan, not going on the offensive against Germany. Mm-hmm. He still sees, exactly like you say, the war against Britain and America is the real war. The Soviet Union is just a step on the way. And the British now have to focus on Japan first. Even if they make a Germany first strategy, which is what they end up doing, they have to put some effort into fighting the Japanese. Like very quickly in December and January, the the, the British lose Singapore and Hong Kong in quick succession. The British have to put something into fighting against Japan. Even if they couldn't say Germany's the main enemy, they have to put something in, or the British Empire's going to collapse. They're going to lose India if they don't put anything into it. From Hitler's point of view, this British and American alliance is unnatural. You know, the British are European imperialists and they're, you know, good racial stock. The Americans are like Jewish capitalists and their reliance makes no sense from Hitler's perspective. So from Hitler's point of view, he now hopes maybe the British will seek peace with Germany so they can fight Japan and protect their empire. And they'll make an agreement with Germany about Europe. So for Hitler... This is wonderful news, and he's very, very happy that he can declare war on the Americans in 1941. Fucking bomb pop. <laughs> Starting to go off like Hitler chap. He's, he's not always good, you know. No. Sometimes you get a bad feeling about him. Yeah. <laughs> it's... <laughs> And I've said this before, now I always say this, it just fucking blows my mind how stupid he, he like, this, 
It's my. I was thinking there, when you were just talking about that, I was thinking to myself, you know what the the worst thing of this thing is? This one man, this one insane, fucking demented, evil lunatic. The amount of damage he did to the world, and he just took the easy way out and blew his brains out. No, that's what I was. That's what I was thinking about then. Uh, like, he deserves so much worse than that <laughs> for what he's done to the world. Yeah, and like I'm not saying he's solely responsible, but he's. The no, I think you can say. That. I think like you know, obviously, all of the deaths of the Holocaust directly can be attributed to Hitler. Also, everyone that dies fighting the German armies directly because of Hitler. Everyone in the German armies who doesn't want to be there dying because of Hitler. And even beyond that, like, you know, without Hitler, you wouldn't have had the Soviet tanks rolling into Poland and Czechoslovakia and Hungary. Everyone who suffered and died in the communist regimes after World War II is because of Hitler. Yeah. Like, how many tens of millions of deaths from this one man? I mean, it's like, you know, people make dictator lists, which are normally for the purpose of showing communism bad. But I mean, like, and they, they tend to downplay Hitler just to, oh, 11 million because of the Holocaust and associated genocide. But really, when you add in everyone who dies in World War II... Because of the war he starts. Because of the war he starts, plus all the people that die because of the things that happen afterwards. Like, again, that you wouldn't have communist tanks in Czechoslovakia in '68 if Hitler hadn't invaded Czechoslovakia in 1938. Mm-hmm. Like, everything that comes from that can be laid at Hitler's fucking door. It has to be what top three most fucking deadly people in human history. It has to be. Madness, I mean. The savage ways that we used to live. It's been a heavy, heavy episode. It's been heavy. It's, it's been, been big on it's the been genocide. Yeah, big on the genocide. So to, big time. to cheer you up for next week, we're going to mostly focus on the aerial bombing of civilians. So that's <laughs> going to be a light <laughs> topic. Yay! Yeah. Not so we're going to. So, so next week we'll shift back to the Western Allies. We're going to focus on the uh, strategic bombing campaign by the uh, British and Americans. Okay. Which is quite interesting because that's nice because we've been to Dresden, which is obviously yeah. a city in Germany that was absolutely devastated. Yeah, I think the word annihilator can be brought out here without yeah, fucking it was sort of a revenge, I think, if anything, because of what they did to us, is not it? Yeah, it was yeah, pure revenge. Like, it, we were bombing everything. Like, there's no, there's no mix about it. Like, we were bombing everything and everything it didn't matter whether it was a fact well we were bombing factories but we were bombing everything yeah. near the factory as well everything yeah. else everything oh that place got flattened then. but equally Birmingham Coventry got flattened London got flattened yeah I mean this was the logic of the war like you know when we were talking back at the start of the series about like Germany's focus of building JU-88s for the purpose of flattening cities that was the war everyone was planning to fight like this sophisticated technological air war with bombers, bombers, bombers and then what we ended up seeing that Germany actually was defeated by was this fucking horrific racial slug of artillery and horses in in yeah. Eastern Europe but this it's is the so war less, uh, it's so less flashy than uh, the films and the games might get but... yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. 
I prefer more World War Two where it's just a bunch of super like late war vehicles roaming around doing really cool stuff. With no context, yeah. yeah just yeah, no flying context. in this mysteriously empty city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, War Thunder. Yeah, I like those sort of guys. <laughs> you don't have to worry about the genocide then, do you? <laughs> period of time we've chosen to do a podcast about that <laughs> yeah we, we did this to ourselves yeah and yeah it's quite different there's... to uh, season one isn't it <laughs> <laughs> so, i think i think there's that distinction because this is a living memory still in it like, yeah definitely we talk about stuff in you know like bronze age collapse like we did in season one little plug for season one if no one's listened to it go back it's fucking fantastic we talk about mad stuff in it about how all the fucking old people in the Middle East were smoking weed all the time, basically, <laughs> each other, like, 3,000 years ago. It's worth a listen, definitely. But it's, it's a, you know, interesting callback, because, like, you know, we talked about that, like, okay, there's cities which clearly are burned down and destroyed in the late Bronze Age, but it's just so far ago and so long ago, it's it doesn't have it doesn't a human face to it. It doesn't yeah, hurt, does it? Doesn't it? Well, this does, because it, mm. you know, we... Our grandparents still, like, our, my, you know, our generation, we're, like, 34. Well, you're 33 and 34. Our yeah. generation. Our grandparents knew the war. Yeah, yeah, like, so my grandmother knew. Li- because we know what our grandparents was doing during the war. Yeah. Where, the, obviously, the younger generation won't get that, so maybe it's... Yeah, it's slipping it's beyond... It's going to rapidly become out of, like... In living memory, yeah, it's gone. Like, you know... My grandmother lived through the London Blitz, like. Yeah. Whereas for my kids, that's going to be super abstract once they're old enough to understand it. Yeah. Crazy times, bro. Crazy times. Well, I suppose. Uh, I suppose we'll wrap it up then. Yeah. That's thank it. you for listening. Um, yeah, thanks, everyone. If you've enjoyed what you've been listening to. I say enjoyed, you know, genocide. But if you've <laughs> appreciated what you've been listening and to, please, something. if you've learned yeah, something, yeah, 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 please leave a review on your podcasting venue of choice. Um, uh, tell your friends about us, tell your relatives, tell people you don't like, whatever. Uh, you can contact us on... Uh, we have an email account, we have a Gmail. It's yeah, what it's yeah, called. We... Are... we uh, make us a history at gmail.com yeah, yeah. you can reach us you can email on... us hang on to be fair we always talk about the email we don't actually check it yeah. I've, I've never ever checked should I check it now <laughs> live while we're doing this let's check you, it you, you carry on with the outro I'm going to go gmail you can also it. reach us on twitter uh, at at makers of history where I post various history related shit as well if you would like to see some of that content um, we're also increasingly active on Reddit. You will see our threads here and there. Oh, I don't know the password, mate, so we ain't logging into this. We'll check it for next we'll time. Check after. We'll check after. Yeah. Abort mission. <laughs> sorry, please continue with the in-plugs. Yeah, no, I, I was done plugging. Okay, sorry. <laughs> well, I suppose that's it. Thanks, for everyone. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.